Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where thoughtful conversations and insightful guests are always tops on the menu. Join Dr. J and myself, Hootie Hoot, as we continue our discussion on contemporary social, educational, and sport issues. If you want to send us an email, feel free to do so at thesportsdeli at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. Now grab your favorite bagel or deli sandwich and favorite beverage and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. Tonight's podcast is sponsored by SportRx, Sport, the letter R, the letter X, SportRx.com, the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at SportRx.com or you can give them a call at 888-831-5817 and tell them the Sports Deli sent you. If you order online, make sure when you check out, you put in the code DELI. 10 that's d-e-l-i-1-0 again that's sportrx.com the leader in sports prescription eyewear and you can find them at sportrx.com we're joined by doug williams number 17 he was a baseball pitcher growing up in addition to playing football and why his legendary hall of fame college coach eddie robinson thinks in part contributed to him having such a rare strong and accurate arm as a quarterback the day before the Super Bowl that he won over John Elway and the Denver Broncos, he had a six-hour root canal. Grambling State honored Williams by naming a street in his honor on the college's campus. He's a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and as Wendell mentioned earlier, the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl and be named Super Bowl MVP. He's currently the Senior Vice President of Player Development for the Washington football team. Doug, again, it is, it's truly an honor. Uh, we've had a lot of guests on, but this is, this is definitely the highlight of this show so far. And, and thanks for joining us in the Sports Deli. We don't know why you're taking time out to, to join a, us on our show, but we're, we're uh, uh, truly honored. You're, you're a legend. You don't get enough credit for what you meant to the NFL and uh, the quarterback position and what you've done off the field. And, uh, you know, you're a legend to the Washington family and uh, to all the fans and uh, what you've done for the NFL is, is uh, truly historic. What's going on coach? How are you coach? Wendell also is here with us. Welcome Wendell uh, as a guest host tonight in the sports deli and uh, Wendell's a a sports historian an African-American sports historian and uh, loves music just like you do. Uh, You guys have similar tastes. Otis Redding and just he's oh, yeah. uh, that's doing our era. That's why. That's have. right. Yeah, exactly. Was, yeah, you know. Uh, Riding around with Soul Soul Town on my car and my girls one night at fourteen and a twelve. They want right. to know what the hell I'm listening to. Let them know. Change the radio. Y'all not change mind. That's right. When you're in the car, that's right. Don't touch the radio. You have two diehard Washington football fans, lifelong, and one Lions fan. And by the series of the questions, you'll be able to tell who's who. since you were the starting quarterback it's been 32 years and you may not you you may or may not realize it there has been 32 starting quarterbacks in washington since that's an obviously an average of one a year the team's going in the right direction but what is it going to take to have to have to solidify the starting quarterback position long term with the team well you know let's be fair to the team too you know you can pick a lot of quarterbacks, but sometimes the puzzle might not fit. Right. You know, you, yeah. you got to hit on the guy. And, and I think when you hit, you, you get lucky. And that don't happen every day. You know, a lot of franchises, you look around, you, you see they got a quarterback that's been there for years or somebody who was traded like Breeze was a free agent out of San Diego and came into New Orleans. And he hit big in New Orleans. Sometimes it boils down to, and, and a lot of people, and I, I don't think the NFL coaches understand this, and, and me and uh, James Harris talk about this all the time. When you get a quarterback, sometimes it depends on who hands you put them in. You know, and, and, and it takes a little, sometimes it takes a little more uh, attention to some guys than, than others. And, you know, and coaches, we all, all coaches got their own system. You might yeah. draft a guy that was great in college, but when you get him there, he might not fit your system. But then again, do you have the right hands on a guy? And, and some of them might have to be nurtured a little bit and, 
I don't think sometimes coaches had the time because we all know it's a short lease on coaches these days, you know, two or three years, and your gig might be up. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah, Did you ever aspire – I just want to ask this question real quick. Did you ever aspire to want to be a uh, coach in the NFL? I know you coached at Grambling. And uh, did you ever think about the possibility of eventually becoming a head coach in the NFL? You know what? I had, I had one opportunity to, to coach in the, the NFL, and for some for, for no reason, I don't know why, John Gruden, when he was um, the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, mm. he did call me and, and, and offer me an opportunity to come in and, and, and coach uh, his quarterback. And I, I think what had happened then mentally for me, Having played the league and had to overcome so many things, had to go through so many stigma. Yeah, I probably was kind of pissed with the league at that time, and and didn't want to get back in it. But as I look back, you know that might be one uh, one decision I made that probably wasn't a good one. I had a chance to go with Jim Caldwell over in uh, at Wake Forest, and uh, I didn't do that. But uh, sometimes you make those decisions, you got to live with them. Doug, I want to ask you, I want to make sure I frame this correctly because it can't be um, uh, overstated enough what you overcame growing up and where you're from, you know, not far from Baton Rouge, but so you've done a lot of interviews. You're, you have a movie being made about you. Um, you're from the South, obviously. They're from D.C. I'm from Detroit, unfortunately, and uh, from, a, from a Lions perspective, of course. So, right. you know, and what, what we've learned about you, uh, which is fascinating to me, is that you've always taken the high road. You, you've always had this inner resiliency, this strength about you, uh, where you've had to overcome uh, unthinkable social, educational, and athletic challenges. But you've always seemed to follow your inner compass, even when it seemed insurmountable. And you always remain steadfast to your convictions and goals. You know, what, what influences or life moments help mold you so that, you know, you made the right decisions and, and because a lot of people uh, don't go down the right path and, and you did. And what, what do you attribute it to? Well, I, I think my, my upbringing, I think I was fortunate. You know, my mom used to always preach to us about, uh, you know, don't put yourself up too high because you wouldn't have that for the fall and you treat people the same. Uh, my dad was one of them steadfast when he said something, he meant it. And, um, you know, you know, right from wrong. Uh, had an older brother was the same way. And, uh, you know, we was all competitive. It was, it was eight of us in the family and, and all of us was competitive athletically. So you learn how to get that discipline and, 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 and hard work and, and deal with that from that standpoint. And going to high school, I was fortunate enough to, to have coaches that had Played in college, like a grandmother, two of my coaches that went to grandmother, one that played baseball at Southern University, and they they were they were to bring us up. And this is before integration. You know, they didn't integrate in my hometown until 1970. I was in the ninth grade when that happened. So basically, all my coaches was 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 black men who always wanted us to go on the right path. And then fortunate enough to go to Grambling and play for Eddie Robinson and taught you that it wasn't about the, the X's and O. Life is about Joe. And it's about not on the field, but off the field. How you handle yourself on the field. And um, I always learned that no matter what happened, it was water up on the bridge. Some things you can't change. You only change. You only deal with the things that you can. And, and that you can't, you put it in the rear view mirror and you go forward. Coach, I mean, Doug, what, what's your upbringing? If this was today, you know, the fact that you came from Louisiana high school, would a Doug Williams of, say, the year 2019 uh, go to a LSU if they're going to be being recruited by LSU or maybe a team from that region in the Power Five or non-Power Five conference? Would you have gone to those schools or would you have even considered grambling now? I think that's a um, kind of like an uneven question because of the time I grew up. You know, remember this, in, in 19... 73, there was no way in the world that Doug Wiz would have got an opportunity to play quarterback in, in, in the SEC, anywhere like that. There's only one guy that played back then, a guy named Hundred Holloway. Played in Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, Terry Robisky and I were seniors coming out of high school. And Terry Robisky uh, went to LSU and they turned him into a running back. And he was a quarterback in high school. 
um, you know, the Southwest Conference and the SEC wasn't having that at that particular time. So mm-hmm. if, if that was back then, uh, I didn't have an opportunity. Now things has changed so much. And, you know, my upbringing might have been a little different if I was doing this time, too. So, you know, I think it's unfair to kind of match the two to say what I have and what I not have. Would you have taken the challenge if they offered you to play uh, during that time at an SEC school, SEC school as a quarterback, knowing what you've been getting, what you've been getting into, even though you probably wouldn't have known. Well, let, let me say this, and 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 you might not understand this, but I played in the SWAC, the SWAC conference, mm-hmm. and I can tell you this: uh, probably from from if you go from probably 1974 on back, anybody in the SWAC probably could have competed with anybody else in the SEC because right. why? That's where all of them were going to school. They couldn't yeah. go to Alabama, LSU, and all the schools back then. Right. You know, I played against Walter Payton and, right. and Robert Brazil and Jackie Slater as a freshman. Right. They were going, they was all on the same team at Jackson State. So right. that's let you know where the talent was back then. It was right. actually historical black colleges because they were not able to go to the schools in the South at that particular time. Doug, you bring up Jackson State, and obviously we've all heard Deion Sanders getting the coaching job there. I'm just curious, A, what was your first reaction when you heard that, and how do you think that could potentially change recruiting, maybe not for the LSU and the Alabamas, but the mid-majors, the guy, the, the, the kid looking at, let's say, a Tulane or an East Carolina, and that, and could that elevate um, the HBCUs on the Division One level? Well, you know, before, actually, I'm sure it was in the works at the time, but before Dion took the job, him and I talked probably about a month before he got the job. I knew he was going to get the job a month out, him and I talked, because he was trying to talk about what's the landmine in, in historical black institutions. Right. So we, we talked about that. But I think it was a great, great opportunity for black colleges, the SWAC conference, and for Dion. I think he's going to bring a lot to the institution. I think I'm bring a lot to the country. I think I'm bring a lot of visibility to the whole country to realize that you don't have to go to power five to play. I do think you're going to do a tremendous job of whether not guys uh, transfer there or, or go there from high school or what have you. So Dion is, is a plus plus for Jackson State and the uh, Southwest Athletic Conference. That's good. Doug, I want to I want to ask you. I want to pivot a little bit. Um, you know, your son. You have eight kids. You, you're an amazing dad. You know, you're married, and um, you, like you said, you have a 12 and a 14 year old. And uh, after the George Floyd death, um, uh, your son, who works for uh, Sean Payton with uh, New Orleans under uh, uh, Vince Lombardi's grandson, Joe Lombardi, um, you know, he sent you a text after the death, and and he said, and, and I quote, "You raised a strong black man. You created America's worst nightmare. A smart, educated, ambitious black man with great character. Thanks for that, pops." And then, you know, he went on to say how he can't even imagine what what you had to go through, and that that he loves you. What what did what did that mean to you? I mean, that whole time of period in the summer, but but your son sending that to you because you don't really know how people feel until you know something like that maybe happens. You, you, you really don't, you know, but here's a young man that, you know, got the fortitude to tell his daddy how he felt about him. Mm-hmm. And I you know, always wondered, always worried about him when he was driving back and forth from, um, from, from Zachary, Louisiana to Grambling, had to go through Mississippi at night and all. You know, I always worried about him on the road. Him and I used to talk all the time. And I used to tell him all the time, man, if they stop you, just be as nice and graceful as you can. And I can honestly say, you know, that um, he's a he's a kid that if he wasn't my kid, I would want him to be my kid. And uh, but him to send me that text, um, you know, sent chills, and I mean, I got a little emotion about it, you know, because sometimes you never really know how your kids really feel about you. But when you can get one like that, it stands out. You know, Doug, and I, and I have to agree the fact that uh, how proud you must feel because. You know, your son's generation, your children's generations, they're going to be the one that's going to move this society forward. You know, my podcast, I always say for people our age, past that, we're too ingrained for the most part. So we'll change, but for the most part, we're too ingrained in terms of our thinkings, our thoughts, and our feelings. Over 70 million people voting for the other guys showed that. So, you know, what gives me hope for when we get a little bit older and the younger folks take care of uh, start to take care of us in this country is you know, people your age or, or your son's age, you know, having those strong foundations of uh, unity, love, togetherness and such. 
Well, you know, uh, I mean, doing this this whole after George Floyd, man, it's, it's for me. You know, I was I was old enough to know about the first part of civil rights back in '65 in that era. I'm old enough to know that, and to see what transpired this this summer, and to see so many people go out and protest, not just black folks. You know, early on, back the first civil rights, there was a lot of black people walking with a few white that they were putting dogs and shooting the water holes on. But to see so many diverse young people out this time, to me, I think was the turning point. And, and I felt pretty good about that because, you know, we live in America, man, and you see so many other things happen in other countries uh, from an authoritarian standpoint. And, you know, my, my 12-year-old girl is probably the only one that sat on social with me and watched the news, watch CNN, and she asked me one day, she asked said, Dad, why, why are you always watching CNN? And I told her, just like you just said, it's not for me, it's for you. You know, I want to make sure that what's going on, I can tell them what's happening, so I want them to do the right thing. And then I'm just glad that hopefully America can see what's really going on and, and get this ship on the right direction and realize we all live here, man. And if, if, if you cut either one of us, no matter where you live, where you're from, who you voted for, it doesn't matter. If you cut, it's going to be red blood. And I think that's the part that we all need to see. Doug, as you probably saw, the Cleveland Indians are pretty much going to announce this week they're changing their name. Um, how can you, what would you recommend in the process of, I think the Washington football team has done a good job this year. Um, I think, you know, considering one year in the history of the old name, what would you recommend to the process that they go through and how do they and how to get the community in Cleveland engaged in understanding and embracing it and then moving forward from there? Well, number one, they've been since what, 1915, I think. They, right. They, I mean, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for some of the old diehards to get over it. And the same thing here. It, it's right. hard. You know, but the way I see this whole thing, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. I talked to a lot of my ex-teammates. We've been on Zoom calls. We've talked about it. You know, the Washington football team, I think. And everybody got a ton of names that they wanted to be other than, you know, but I look at it from a realistic standpoint. I would not, I would, and I don't have any idea, but I would not be surprised if we don't continue to be the Washington football team. Because, because I say it like this. We have we have three Super Bowl trophies in that building. Right. And the Washington Redskins won that trophy. One of those with, with that name. But from a history standpoint, it was the players. And sure. you know, in 1987, when we were up in Chicago, when they punted to us. The logo on the side of their hat didn't, didn't run the punt back. Daryl Green did. Right. So you got to hold on to history. And the good part about this, the Washington part is still in there. You don't lose the Washington part. So if you come up and say, let's put another name on it, I don't think it resonates from being from the Washington Redskins down to the Washington Hoo-Hoo's or whatever it's going to be. And you got three trophies that say Washington Redskins when you can just keep the Washington name and Washington still on the trophy. That, that's only my opinion, though. Right. And, this, and a follow-up on the 87 team, one of the things that was unique about that team, it was played in a strike season. And about a year or two ago, you honored players on that team and gave them Super Bowl rings, and you were part of that. What was – there was an ESPN documentary about that, um, and I don't know how, what impetus that was, but did you appreciate until you saw those – former players, how important that those rings were to them and being recognized was to them after all those years? We appreciated before those rings, but, but you got to understand, we, as players, we weren't buying the rings. That's something that many had to come to a realization with, and I'm glad that we came to that that point where we, we saw that they were the pivotal point and, and giving us that opportunity to carry it on from there. And uh, to see those guys, man, come back and get honored. That, that's a good feeling. You know, wow. at the time all this thing was having to strike, it was a whole different ball game. The mentality was different from the player that was on strike and you got guys coming in there. But as you've gotten older and you realize that it wasn't their fault. If you know you can't blame the guys who come in and do something that they want to do and play in the football, national football league. Right. Uh, and you, you just mature a little after that and realize that they deserve some recognition. 
Okay. You know, Doug, it's, it's really interesting because you talked about the 87 uh, Super Bowl, the championship, and I guess you could say that you're a bridge from one generation of me and Wax and others who grew up in that area who knew the Washington football team, how important it was to the city that that term, that nickname that we used is so hard in terms of us letting it go because of the memories that it had. But you're a bridge now of trying to introduce a new generation of football fans to the Washington DC metropolitan area, not as the nickname that it was before and everything that it symbolized, the championships, the winning Joe Gibbs and all that such, those type of things. But now the Washington football team and building a foundation for when they become RAs that they can tell their kids about this Washington football team in the, um, in the, in the history that uh, you're starting with right now. You are listening to an interview with former Super Bowl quarterback for the Washington football team, Doug Williams, who's currently the senior vice president of player development for that same Washington football team. And uh, Doug has had a, a tremendous career after his playing days at Grambling for the legendary coach, Eddie Robinson. He started out at Point Coupe Central High School. And then he, in 1993, went to Northeast High School. Um, And before he even got there, they uh, had a field that was named after him, Doug Williams Field. He went to the U.S. Naval Academy in 1994. He was a running backs coach for the Scottish Claymores and then was an offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars from 1995 to 1996. And he went back to the college game in 1997 where he was a head coach for Morehouse College before going to his alma mater, Grambling State University. And he took over for the legendary coach, Eddie Robinson. He led them to three SWAC conference titles from 2000 to 2002. He was an executive at Southern University before moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a personnel executive. At the conclusion of Super Bowl 42 on the 20th anniversary of being named Super Bowl 22 MVP, Williams himself carried the Vince Lombardi trophy onto the field for the presentation to the winning New York Giants. Just an amazing scene when that happened. It just gave me chills watching it at the time. He went back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for two years after that, and then the Virginia Destroyers as the general manager. He went back to Grambling again, joined the Washington Redskins again in 2014 as a personnel executive. And then he uh, was promoted to Senior Vice President of Player Personnel from 2017 to 2019, where he now stands as the Senior Vice President of Player Development. And now back to this unbelievably historic, incredible interview with Doug Williams in the Sports Deli. But but, but you're right, too. But what we've done with the new uh, president coming in, Jason Wright and and a lot of Julie Jensen and uh, a couple other people that, that they've hired. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we, we we had a Zoom. We had a Zoom with a lot of the alumni on. We had about 50-some guys that had played here. And fortunate enough, we had the owner, Dan Snyder, talk to him. Because what we've what, what I've been trying to instill in, in Jason, and he agreed, high important alumni. You know, if, if you don't know where you're coming from, it's hard to know where you're going. And I think this new generation of just the Washington football team with the history that that's been established, you can't leave. If you want to do that, you know, come in the building and take the three trophies with you. If that's what you're trying to do and put your own trophies up there. So therefore you got to bring the old and mix them in with the new so they can respect the history of the organization. And that's why I say you can't throw the history of the organization out the window and say, you know what? We're going to start here. We're going to go from here. You got to bring it all together. And I think that's what we've been trying to do is, is to build a great, strong alumni and let them know that you're a part of what has happened with this Washington franchise. Doug, uh, I want to ask you, you, you talked about uh, Dan Snyder and, uh, you know, there's, you know, been a lot of things over the years. And, and um, we, when we looked at the wobble and the bubble and how LeBron, you know, uh, and a lot of the leagues during the summertime, you know, um, took to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and uh, Breonna Taylor and all that. And, you know, you've gone on record as saying Dan Snyder 
has done a lot of things to support this movement, maybe not publicly, because he's not a Jerry Jones. He's a behind the scenes kind of guy. And so maybe share with everybody uh, what you've seen from Dan Snyder that nobody would ever know because you're behind the scenes and what, what a good man he is and what he's done and how, how you feel the NFL has handled, you know, this, this whole systemic racism and, and uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Well, I think, I think Dan, and, and I say this, I think he's an introvert. You know, he's not a guy who all the attention or what have you, but if it means that it's something that helps financially, He's going to get it done. And we've done a lot of uh, calls on, on, on the call. We've talked to a lot of organizations. Uh, I don't think we was out there as heavy as a lot of other people, but I think what we've done, and we're still working on some stuff that uh, whether or not it's with policing and, and things like that, we're trying to, we're trying to make an uh, impact on uh, what happens with policing when the policing go bad to make sure those guys uh, don't get an opportunity to get rehired in another county and what have you. You know, one bad police and all that. But Dan has 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 already committed to whatever we need to do. And with Ron um, is the one that told us, you know, that Dan from the start when it first happened, Dan just you know threw up two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get it started to feed money to do whatever we need to do for uh, for to make sure we support we support racial injustice in in this country and in this area. I think that's the key. But Dan is not a guy that won't be known as a guy that say, you know, Dan Snyder did this or Dan Snyder did that. And I know he's going through some things, and that's something beyond my pay cut, my pay raise. I don't know what's going on there. But I can only say since I've been here, and especially this year, uh, I've seen him commit to a lot more things than he probably ever has. That's awesome. You know, I, I've, I've been on the show uh, somewhat critical of – you know, some of the owners, I know the Cleveland Browns owners uh, have been, you know, sort of at the forefront of speaking out on the issue. And like you said, some people, everybody handles it differently. But I just wish there was a more collective front by the white people in the league, especially that have the money, the Tom Brady's, you know, the Jerry Jones, because it's it's uh, I don't want to get started because I'll probably get all amped up and, and really frustrated about. Uh, the situation, but it's, it's really frustrating to me because um, uh, I think it's a white problem uh, in large part, like white people run this country. And I just wish more in all the professional leagues, the white people that run the leagues from the owners to the players. And I'm, and I'm, I've been critical of Tom Brady. I love him, but I, it's just really frustrating. So I don't know how you feel about that or, you know, but that's how I feel. Well, well I do. I, I'm not going to say he and shoot code either. You know, it, it's not a black, it's not just a black thing. You know, we can say black life matters and we hear people say blue life matters. It's not about that. We're talking about all the black, young black men, black women who've been have been killed over the years with nothing being done. You know, until until white folks stand up with the black folks. And then you you hit on a couple guys, you know. Um, I was disappointed with Paul with you know how Paul stood up and 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 the guy that Jay Cutler, you know. Even if you don't say anything, you just send a message out to the guys that you was in the dressing room with, that you was in the huddle with, that tell y'all didn't matter to me. I, you know, I made my money. I didn't give a damn about you. I'm, so whatever, this is what this is my feeling. I think somewhere along the line, Aaron Rodgers might be one of the only guys I know that stood up. You know, and, and you appreciate guys when they stand up. You know, the white guys, let me tell you something. When, and they don't understand this, but they're black teammates. Give them more respect when they stand up for a cause like that than they would ever get in their whole life, because they understand that you know they got a lot of pressure on them, and I'm sure they've been in circles that some of their buddies might have said something outrageous that they've heard, and you know didn't say anything about it. And if they stand up and say something, uh, they don't know how their buddy might react. But if you if you stand up and say something, you show the heart and the fortitude to, to say what's right and what's wrong. And it's not even as hard as it, excuse me, Wendell, one second. It's not even as hard as it was when Colin did what he did. Like, it's not even difficult now to stand up as a, as a white or even African-American uh, athlete in the locker room. Like, everyone already laid the foundation for you. Like, just say Black Lives Matter. Like, why is that so freaking difficult? It's so frustrating that they will not do it. Well, we do what we do behind closed doors. And, man, get out of here with that. Like, say it. Like, say it. Just say it. You know, it's not hard. I guess it is hard. <laughs> Mike, Mike, let me tell you this, Michael. You know, and, and we all would, would say this. 
you know, I watch I watch young kids. You know, my, when when I used to go to the middle, to the elementary school and watch my daughter in 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 elementary school, you know, and this school was predominantly white. She didn't have no black friends. There was all little white boys and girls that was hanging out. But as they get older, see, mm-hmm. I think you know, my old cliche is some things are caught and some things are taught. Mm-hmm. I think we as older folks. Older people got to stop teaching our kids and, and tell them that just because of his skin color might be a little dog in yours, that don't mean he don't equal you. You know, and I think that's what is going on. We got to understand, you know, and, 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 you know, we're not trying to take anything away from anybody. We just want the same opportunity that anybody else gets. And people always talk to me about the Super Bowl. You know what? I was afforded an opportunity. Joe Gibbs gave me an opportunity. If Joe Gibbs don't give me the opportunity, I, I think it comes down also between the difference between racism and privilege. And I think a lot of white folks uh, don't know the difference between racism and privilege and how it's used because they'll say, well, you know, I'm not burning anybody's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, calling anybody the N word. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I think that stuff is wrong. I don't have a hood over my, my face. I'm not burning crosses in front of anybody's yard. What are y'all talking about? But it's a, it's the way that they use their privilege, not so much to, to, to keep us down, but, but not to understand the things that we're going through. I see, I see white folks all the time losing their mind and black folks too. I'm not trying to, you know, talk about which one group, but I see white folks all the time losing their mind about having to wear a mask and when they go outside or when they go into a place to a store. I'm thinking to myself, could y'all imagine if what y'all had to, what we have to go through? Could you imagine y'all had to go through that every single day for the for the rest of your lives, every day of your life? So it's it's just a matter, I think, of trying to educate. Not I mentioned before, not my generation, not your generation, not the generation before, because again, the being ingrained, but the younger generation, to realize the fact that you know your daughter is the only black person in that school, this, that, and the other. That that is a big deal. So if she says, you know, I feel a little bit uncomfortable because I'm the only person in this school that looks like me, the white folks don't look at her sideways saying, well, what's the big deal? So what if you're the only black person in here, this, that, and the other? They have to understand why she feels that way without them feeling that she's racist or something like that. You know what I mean? You know what that means. <laughs> you know what that means because we go through it every day. You wax and tune Do they know what it means? That's what we're trying to get them to do. Well, that's, yeah. that's a big reason why we have the Yeah, go ahead, Doug. So I, you know, you know, I'm 65 years old, man, and, and you know, I, the state that I had, I wasn't happy over the last couple of weeks or so. It, it's it's not because of who won, well, it is because of who won, but but hopefully, hopefully that you know that we can settle this country down, man, because it it's been slipping away from us. You know, we we gonna we gonna end up being like a third world world country, and people. And the thing about it, you got people don't want to say that. And it's true. You know, they go out there and do whatever it is to try to keep the way it is, man. It's, I don't know why we don't want to give uh, voter suppression. Right. You know, you got you got three million people in one area and you send them two voter boxes. You know, tell if that, to me, that's that is blatant. That that is plum blatant. And you think. You know, kind of like this, this congressman told me one time about the 10-foot uh, rope. You know, he said, you got a black man that is 12 feet down, a white man is 10 feet down, and, and the guy decided he's going he gonna to be fast. He threw both of them a 10-foot rope. So at the end of the day, the black man is still two feet down. You know, so, right. so, so why can't we just say, hey, give everybody an opportunity to vote? And, and and you know, just like the, you, you go, oh man, don't, don't get me started. I respect I'd... everybody's vote. Respect everybody's vote. Right. We can all vote, but respect everybody's vote. Yeah, it's been a little emotional for me the last couple of weeks, man, because you said that and you can't do anything about it, and you see people that are in powerful positions that don't do jack. You see people in, in food lines, you see people can't pay rent, and all these guys that's up here in, 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 in DC. They don't have a wonderful Christmas. Yeah. You know, they don't have a tree, their kids, their grandkids, all of them don't have a ball. You know, how hard is it with the biggest tax cut that ever been given to a bunch of folks that are rich? How hard is it to make sure 
that people got food on their table, can pay their rent, can make their kids Christmas uh, a Christmas. Man, that that bothers me. Well, I sort of always look at it like this. You have uh, the people on our side and then you have the people on the far end of the other side. They're never going to budge. But the people in the middle are the ones that we have hope for that hopefully we can have these conversations with. And that's why John and I and Gordon, when he was with us, uh, just listen to stories like yours and and the frustration and and the anger uh, and the disbelief still and you're shaking your head, you know, that, that it could still possibly be going on in 2020. But like you said, you know, we have to go back to the hope that we felt during the, the diverse protests that you've talked about and the fact that there are more white people standing up and hopefully that just continues to be contagious and that leads to policy changes and helping our homeless, you know, and helping get internet in the inner cities where African-American and, you know, communities still don't have freaking internet so the kids can't do their homework. It's just ridiculous. Um, so we, like you said, we could talk about this for a while. I, I want to pivot a little bit because we're going to have Jennifer King, one of your assistant running back coaches on the show. And you talked earlier about women and African-American women have had it probably harder in a lot of ways than African-American men. And so talk about what, what, a, what an amazing um, person she is and, and how it's been to have her in the organization, uh, you know, as a woman in, in, in the NFL. It's just an amazing story. Yeah, you know what is groundbreaking, and and you know I go to my office every now and then to check on them, you know, and I always say you all right, and she's sitting there <laughs> watching tape. She said yeah, but you know to watch her doing doing training camp and, and to see her now on the sideline engaged in what's going on, and I'm sure you know at, at first it was a little learning curve for her, but now she's entrenched in it. She's working with Randy Randy Jordan, who's a great running back coach, so. I'm sure she she have learned a lot, and I'm sure somewhere along the line, uh, eventually Jennifer's gonna have her own position. Because mm-hmm. when you stay on the field, she knows what she's doing. I think it's groundbreaking. I think take our hat off to Ron for giving her that opportunity, but also to her for working on behind off and, and not looking at it that I'm a woman doing this. You know, I'm a woman doing a man's job. She look at it as I'm a coach on the Washington football team. And I think that's the most important thing. Doug, quick, you know, you talked about uh, Joe Gibbs giving you an opportunity. Many people don't realize he was your coordinator coach in Tampa Bay in 78. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the players I followed that I'm the I'm of that age. And I remember that, you know, that NFC championship game against the Rams and that horrible weather. Um, you know, I think if you guys had had better weather, I think a better, a different outcome personally, you know, tight ends are such a big part of today's game. And I think you had one of the most underrated tight ends in the history of the NFL. Everybody from that generation talks about, you know, Kelvin Winslow, but talk about Jimmy Giles and talk about what, you know, from Akron, from Alcorn States, excuse me, and talk about what Jimmy Giles would be like today and how, and, and talk about how, and I think if you had stayed with the Buccaneers and with him there, that probably hindered his career as much as it did you, you know, with the change of quarterbacks, because you had something going and it was cutting edge in regards that quarterbacks tight ends weren't, weren't what they are now. And the younger people may not understand that, but Jimmy Giles, I think just gets overlooked. And I'm I'm glad you said that somebody recognized Jimmy Giles, man. I just talked to him the other day and and I can say that I was fortunate to have a guy who was six foot three and a half, 250 pounds, run like a deer, can catch, can get you to the edge. Jimmy Giles can, can block, he can run, you name it. That there's not a tight end today. They ain't a tight end yesterday that it was any better than, than Jimmy Giles. Unfortunately, we played in an offense that wasn't geared to his ability. You know, right. in that conventional eye formation, two back, downhill, throw it to the tight end every now and then. But these tight ends now are not really tight ends, they tight receivers. You know, very few of them do any blocking. Right. And, and, and because of that, Jimmy Giles, I don't know, Kevin Winslow is one of the all-time great. Uh, Ozzie Newsom is one of the right. all-time great. Jimmy Giles is in, is in those class. It's unfortunate right. because he wasn't throwing the ball as much because the offense didn't dictate it to him. He didn't get it. But if Jimmy had played in Joe Gibbs' offense, oh. 
Right. Jimmy Fallon I mean, would be in the Hall of Fame today. With all due respect, you guys made Clint Didier look good. I mean, I love Clint. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? We're not, you know, I mean, look at the type, Doc Walker. Love Doc Walker, but no Jimmy Giles. Clint Didier, you know, you can go on and on. And, you know, basically he was a big size receiver who could block. And that was kind of, and people didn't understand that back then. You can do it all. You, right. you could play Jimmy one on one with a safety. You forget about a linebacker. Oh, that forget it now. He was strong. He was as as, as uh, he was strong, agile, and mobile. I mean, right. you Jimmy can do it all, man. And uh, it's unfortunate that that he didn't have uh, nine hundred catches because they didn't right. throw it to him nine hundred times. They had a it would have been a shoe in. Right. Agreed. Well, that was the rate, the owner's fault for not wanting to pay you. But that's all right. That was Washington's good fortune. You are listening to an interview with Super Bowl quarterback MVP from the Washington football team, Doug Williams. Remember, this podcast is sponsored by SportRx, the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com or call them up at 888-831-5817. That's 888-831-5817 and let them know the Sports Deli sent you. If you order online, be sure to put in the code DELI10, DELI10, D-E-L-I-1-0. Doug Williams was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2001 as an NFL quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and for the Washington football team, and which was at the time the Washington Redskins. He attempted 2,507 pass attempts and completed 1,240, roughly 50% of his passes. He threw for 100 touchdowns. He passed for nearly 17,000 yards and had a passer rating of right around 70. He played for the Hall of Fame coach at Grambling, Eddie Robinson, and he has uh, had to overcome a number of things in his personal and professional life and uh, is just a remarkable human being. And uh, this is the final segment with the remarkable Doug Williams in the Sports Deli. All right, well, before we leave the stage for you, we got the rapid fire here, our famous segment of the podcast, the this or that. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. So you were in second grade and your teacher was crying when JFK was shot. Um, Do you remember where where you were when the MLK was shot? Miss, Miss Augustine Brown, you know, we was coming, we was coming out to the cafeteria, been to, been to lunch, mm-hmm. and walking down the hall, and, and somebody said, what happened? All the teachers was crying. They say they just killed uh, President Kennedy. What was harder for you, uh, that or when MLK was shot? Well, for me, it had to be an MLK because I was a little older. Yeah. You know, being in second grade, you, you really don't fully understand yeah. Uh, until you get a little older and you realize now because he was the president who was trying to do something for black folks, yeah. you realize why those teachers was crying. But yeah. uh, 1968 was, you know, was a little different because I was 13, 14 yeah. years old. Sure. And, and that was doing all this civil rights thing. So I understood that at that particular time. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, this is a pronunciation. Which pronunciation do you prefer? Advertisement or advertisement? Ooh. Advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cement or cement? Cement, man. <laughs> right? All right. Uh, adult or adult? Adult. All right. Bullwinkle, Mr. Magoo, Flintstones, or Deputy Dog? Deputy Dog, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, food in Zachary, Louisiana, D.C., or Tampa Bay, Florida? Zachary, Louisiana. You You'll say be intru- I mean, if, Doug, if you answer that question wrong, you can't go home. I mean, I'm, that's- <laughs> sitting, there right now. I'm sitting in here and I smell the red beans my wife cooked today. I hear you. <laughs> that's, that's outstanding. Okay. Do you say that you want soda, pop, or soda pop? Cold drink. <laughs> there we go. What's your favorite cold drink? Well, it used to be Coca Cola, man. I, I oh. try to pull off the most Coca Cola. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Brady or Montana? Wow. Give, give me Brady, man. All right. you, know, you know why I like Brady? Because everything he does is fundamentally sound. His, oh, you watch yeah. him play, 
His feet is always planted where he's going, and his motion is always the same. Yeah. Yep. Best pocket passer ever. Uh, well, I know how you're going to answer this based on what you said earlier. Farver Manning, Peyton. Peyton. Yeah, right. Uh, Jim Brown or Sweetness? Wow, Jesus. Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who did, you, who did you answer? You know, I didn't see, I never said this, I didn't see enough of Jim, but I know what he was. I got to go with Sweetness because I played <laughs> against him as a president. <laughs> there you go. And All you right, know, uh, his last football game was against me in the playoff in 1987. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. All right. Sweetness or Barry Sanders? I got to go with Sweetness. That's what All I right. got. Yeah. Um, vacuuming. You've been married a long time. Vacuuming or dishes? Oh, man. Dishes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. Sanford and Son or Good Times? Huh? Sanford and Son or Good Times? Sanford, man. Uh, Big yep. one. <laughs> Elizabeth, come on. That's the big one. French toast, pancakes, or waffles? Pancakes. What's your second choice? Uh, I'll be French toast. Wow, John, you're out of luck today, buddy. Yeah. All right, well, hot dogs are – oh, go ahead, John. No, well, first of all, we could, Doug, when you, when you do – I'm curious, on the French toast, do you use hala or do you use regular bread? <laughs> it's regular light bread. We call it light bread, man. <laughs> Okay, you got to go to the store and get, ask him for some holly. You get the thick. Oh, it will change your life. It'll <laughs> change it. Just the maids and put them in a bowl and just soak that toast and just put it in a skillet, man. Let's go with it. Let's go with hot dogs or hamburgers. Hamburgers. Candy or popcorn at the movies. Candy. Elway or Roethlisberger. I like being because he stands in the pocket, man. That's that's what yeah. I did. I like being. Yep. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? Yes. God dang it. Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? Wow. Houdini or Aaron, huh? <laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking Houdini. I'm taking Russell. Yeah. All right, good. Uh, Daryl Green or Ronnie Lott? Daryl Green. Of course. Art Monk or Randy Moss? Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a good He got that Jeez, who wouldn't want to throw to Randy, but I got to take off because he's going to make every third down catch that we had. Yep. Sonny Jurgensen, Joe Theismann, or Sammy Ball? I would have to go with Theismann. All right, Theismann or you? Me. There we go. <laughs> All right, a couple more. What's happening or the Jeffersons? Uh, Jefferson. Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy? Man, Richard Pryor was my man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Die Hard or 48 Hours? Die Hard. Just saw Bruce Willis earlier today. Wow. That's surprising. Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, or Chris Rock? Chappelle. Yeah, he's a little. Willie Mays or Hank Aaron? <laughs> Hank, man. All right. Hank or Jackie? Uh, Got to go with Robinson. Yeah. Barry Bonds or Pete Rose? Bonds. LeBron or Jordan? <laughs> I'm going with MJ, man. <laughs> All right, there we go. All right. Two more. Belichick or Bill Walsh? Got to go with Belichick. All right. So you have an opening on the Washington football team as an assistant to the senior vice president of player development. Are you hiring John Wendell or me? I'm going to step down. I'm going to have both of you all. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about equality and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> you can say you hired those two because they're Jewish. You know, we got to kind of like diversify <laughs> next level stuff. Oh, why? You <laughs> uh, pulled out the Jewish card. All right, Doug, uh, man, it, it has been fun. Anything that you want to share with, with the world? We've been in 13 countries. Uh, we, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of things on our show, but uh, like I said, it's on behalf of all of us. It's, it's truly been an honor. I can't thank you enough for sharing space with us and for your convictions, for, for being such an amazing dad, a coach when you were at Grambling and, and uh, for passing on the lessons that you learned from the Hall of Fame coach, Eddie Robinson. And, um, you know, people that cross paths with you, they're, they're, they're lucky, including us. Well, you know what? I, I just want to say thank you all first for having me on and uh, 
certainly appreciate that. And I just hope, you know, some of the things that I said might resonate with a lot of people who might not think like like we, we all do on this show. And, and I think everybody got their own opinion. And you're not, I don't have anything against your own opinion. But, but I think we need to sit, all sit down and just look at the real life, the real situation and say, what's right and what's wrong? And we, if we all just do right, we have a better country. And if we yeah. have us do just right, we have a better country. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's the most important thing, man, and realize that the man next to you, no matter what color he is, is just as much man as you are. Yeah. Don't well, I just want to say, yeah, as, go a, ahead. as a football fan of the D.C. area and, and watching you growing up, and you were a great quarterback. And what's even more exciting is that you're a better person. And as much as I, as, as an iconic quarterback you are, you're even a better person and you keep it going. And thank I want to thank you for that. Thank you. I hope you're not offended by him saying that, you know, when I was a young lad and watching you play. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> well, enjoy Monday Night Football and good luck down the stretch. Good luck against Seattle next week and much love, mad respect and, and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're, you're, you're uh, an inspiration. All right, thank you all. All right, man. That was cool. That was. How do you feel about being on the sports deadly, Wendell? Wendell's actually speechless for the first time in his life. (laughs) Wendell, are you going to take any phone phone calls? I haven't learned how to. Oh man. Wendell, you realize your boy Wax just went in on you. All right, later, later, boys. Great job, Wendell. All right, man. I enjoyed it, man. All right. That was good. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, brother. Much love. Later, Later, Wex. Thank you again for joining us in the Sports Deli. Special thanks to Doug Williams, the first African-American quarterback in the history of the NFL to win a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl MVP. He threw four touchdown passes all in the second quarter, a record for a Super Bowl And again, until next time, please mask up. Black Lives Matter. Peace.